This is the Fireman Trainers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4, published on September 27, 2021. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and our topic today will be talking about what some of your students probably want to do, and that is shooting the wound, both the pros and the cons. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites, the fastest sites in any light. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage, the offer, and the competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. I've been one of their customers now for almost three years, and I got to say, it's been a very good time using them and uh, all the support I get from them. This episode is also brought to you by the team at Mountain Man Medical. Responsible fire instructors have trauma medical gear on the range and are trained to use it. Mountain Man Medical provides the highest quality name brand medical gear on the market at a guaranteed lowest price. Check out the Wind River Kit, especially designed for firearm instructors to have at the range. The Yellowstone is perfect to have on your belt or in your bag anywhere you go. Learn more at mountainmanmedical.com and scroll to the bottom and click on available discounts to learn how firearm instructors can save 15% off the already guaranteed lowest prices on the market. And don't forget to click on the training link to take the emergency trauma response video course for free. Get the right gear and the right training at the best price anywhere on mountainmanmedical.com. Remember, we bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Now let's get on to today's topic. Today we are joined by Daryl Balke from Hardwire Tactical Shooting. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge with our instructors. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. Great. Before we dive into our topic today, can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and what brings you here today? Yeah, I started in the uh, firearms industry uh, in 1986, uh, working on the equipment side at a uh, firearms and equipment place dedicated to, it was a law enforcement uh, equipment dealer or distributor. Um, from there, I started with the Ontario police department, Southern California in 1988. Uh, I spent almost 20 years there. I got uh, pretty severely injured in the line of duty at the end of my career and was forcibly retired. Uh, during the course of my career, uh, I was a perpetual student. Uh, I was a competitive shooter before I went to the police department. And, you know, during the course of time there, uh, was assigned to SWAT in 1989 as a, uh, firearms instructor. I knew I was fairly unqualified for that job other than being the best shooter at the department, which wasn't really a solid qualification for that. And went out, uh, pulled some strings and got out with the guys at LAPD D platoon, uh, mostly known as SWAT, uh, in 1989 with Larry Mudgett. Uh, who was a huge inspiration and working with him and Scott Reitz, John Helms and some other guys out there got to see what really professional stuff looked like and headed down a very, very serious road of, uh, you know, a lot of classes, a lot of coursework, most of it out of pocket, uh, training. Part of the job I had at the police department is I did the, uh, firearms and ballistics works on officer involved shootings 
training ap applicability to what happens in the field and then what happens afterwards during the civil and investigative process. Um, since retirement, I do a, a ton of uh, private security work and firearms instruction and co-owner of fire, uh, hardware tactical shooting. And uh, I run DB shooting adventures on uh, Facebook to fuel my passion for old revolvers. So that sounds good. And a lot of revolvers are good, but we'll take that. We'll make that another topic some other time. Our co topic today, and probably most people that have, uh, have read the news probably have uh, seen, you know, some, a lot of talk about shooting the wound instead of shooting the kill, shooting the wound. And I think it's an important topic for instructors to be able to articulate properly because um, shooting the wound, I think, is more from a um, uh, uneducated standpoint that, you know, why they would call something like that, because, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it comes down to you're not shooting the kill or shooting the wound, you're shooting to stop the threat. Um, right. and I'll let you take it away from Daryl and, and talk about it. Cause it, it's one of those things where, as we talked before the show, it's very important to make sure instructors articulate it properly because we don't want our students thinking one way or the other at, when they walk out of our classes. Yeah, this is one of those topics that, um, is difficult for a lot of people because it doesn't get treated with the seriousness it needs to, um, words mean thing and words come up in court. Uh, training doctrine comes up in court, uh, your actions will be, uh, it's indescribable to most people what actually happens during uh, civil cases and uh, post-shooting investigations. And particularly coming from Southern California, where we were under the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, we were tested under the harshest conditions in a very litigious society out there. So I have a pretty good idea how these things go and what kind of questioning goes on uh, post-shooting or with your training doctrine and any kind of these incidents that you're involved in your training doctrine will come into play, uh, in the post-shooting process. So we need to be crystal clear on why we're applying lethal force and we apply lethal force to stop a threat period. That is, and we're stopping, not any threat. We're stopping a threat that has the potential to cause us or somebody uh, close to us, uh, great bodily harm or injury or death. That's why we employ lethal force. Mm -hmm. And we need to be talking in those kind of terms. It is lethal force because the force we're delivering has the potential of being lethal. It can kill you. Um, a lot of injuries we see today caused by firearms that are not a big deal in a modern trauma center would have been a death sentence a hundred years ago. So anytime we're putting any kind of projectile into somebody else's body, it is lethal force. It has the potential to have a, uh, terminal ending if not treated. Mm -hmm. So we need to be very careful with how we use terms. So when we're employing lethal force, we're employing a level of force that is capable of causing death or serious injury. We're not trying to kill anybody and we're not trying to not kill anybody. We're applying a certain level of force that can have a certain level of consequence when that we're, force we're is meeting applied. force with equal amounts of, uh, of force. 
usually equal and so, and at many times uh, a little bit greater force to overcome mm-hmm. that force being used against us. It, that is reasonable. And that's another one of the key words. So when I see stuff and, and lately it's been uh, because there was a, a police department down in Georgia, I believe it's LaGrange that decided they were going to start teaching uh, shooting to incapacitate, shooting to wound, shooting to different areas of the body that were supposedly going to give a different outcome than fatal. And I think it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. And this is what happens when the good idea fairy lands in somebody's office and nobody tells whoever came up with this plan that it's a very, very, very poor uh, tactic. And a lot of what this entails is shooting to portions of the body not known for their ability to stop uh, hostile activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way we teach our program, uh, my business partner and I are very, uh, Wayne Dobbs are very adamant on what we teach. We, uh, we use B8 bullseye targets that are placed inside of a silhouette for most body targets uh, because that replicates the black in that bowl replicates a uh, five and a half inch diameter, which is about the size of a large grapefruit. Uh, I'm sorry, large orange, small grapefruit, which basically encompasses the area of the chest, the upper chest area that needs to be hit to rapidly stop a threat. There's important stuff in there. It also happens to be about the exact same size of what you have to hit in the head to put around into the central nervous system or the brain that will, uh, usually immediately stop a threat. So, you know, I hear all the time, uh, people talk about, uh, that they're shooting to hit some sort of, uh, you know, as fast or the accuracy level, uh, to hit, you know, some sort of targeting thing based on the size of a human being. The reality is, you're trying to hit basically with pistol bullets in particular, you're trying to hit something the size of a large orange, small grapefruit in either the upper chest or the head mm-hmm. period. And you go along and <laughs> add in the stress. You also add in movement, um, the, where, you know, again, the target, if it's a little, if your shot is a little bit high, a little bit low, everything around those grapefruits and oranges are, you know, vital things versus if you're shooting at a big, you know, 13 inch target and you're a little bit off, you're going to be missing the target completely. And that's where you got to take things, you know, in context. And sort of the body shot thing or the upper chest, what that gives you is you're still trying to hit this, this, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, grapefruit. But you've got a lot of room for what we call misses, which is hitting into meat. And that is your, see, people you like to use the term acceptable target. Well, you know, on a human being, that's what it is. It's that grapefruit. But at least in the upper torso, if you miss that, it's still contained in a lot of meat and you're not putting rounds back into society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you miss miss, when you don't hit, but my partner likes to say they all hit something. Um, when you're not putting rounds into your intended target, you're putting them out into the public and they will all hit something. So the, the kind of bonus of going to the upper chest is it gives you, uh, some very important things to hit there in the, uh, you know, where the heart lungs, those type of things are located. 
And if that doesn't work, you need to go to the head. And there's been all these discussions of other areas of the body to hit. And if it's the only thing I have available, that's one thing. But I don't want to go to inefficient targeting on purpose for no apparent reason other than to either make somebody feel good or some weird idea of the effects of that, which I have found and the ballistic experts I deal with have found a lot of this stuff to be sort of hooey. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, and then you have some additional issues with those. The, when they're emphasizing, for example, to go to the pelvic area, the pelvic area, the best you're going to get out of that. If you hit some certain small bone structure or small areas in the pelvis that contain certain bone structures with a pistol bullet, the best you can hope for is actually putting that target on the ground. But now you have the exact same problem you had when it was standing up. You have not really stopped the action or the threat. You've just put it in a different place and maybe immobilized it. And that's a huge maybe. Um, I have not seen uh, in actual shootings those kind of effects. Now, a lot of that's coming from guys who've been overseas and they were using rifle shots through the pelvis on insurgent fighters who were maybe running across the street with an M16 putting or you know 556 or a 762 round putting rounds into the into the pelvic area which is big that they can see and it's underneath things like AK magazine chest pouches and stuff the idea is that's not in capacity and what it does it, it stops them from running across the street and now you can put more precision rounds on that target now that it's not moving that doesn't that doesn't comport well with your local of a shooting inside of a Seven Eleven or a Walmart parking lot. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, you know, with the, with the, with, you know, with a uh, small, uh, you know, nine millimeter, say thirty eight caliber pistol revolver that is the typical stuff most people carry. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't compute well with that. Um, so we are very much against trying to target that unless it's the only thing available um, or some circumstance that that is the only option you have. Uh, if I get a failure to stop on upper torso body shots, then I'll usually need to go to the head, which takes some precision work, which is why we try to practice on very small targets because on demand. Now, the officers I trained made a lot of headshots in the field, whether they were came as a failure to stop where they fired a couple rounds into the chest did not get the response they needed and went to the head or went directly to the head off of a hostage scenario. Um, and we're very effective now, not every headshot killed anybody, but what it did do is every time the head was impacted, uh, with some of the modern bullets that we're using, uh, was like a marionette that got the strings cut and it was an instantaneous, uh, cessation of the actions that caused the lethal force to be applied. Mm -hmm. The other problem you have with, um, good intentions of say shooting to pelvises, what you are not probably going to find at your local trauma center is a surgeon who specializes in working in pelvic injuries. I guarantee you, you're going to have somebody who is, uh, able to work on cardiac 
And those injuries that are going to occur up in the upper chest, you're going to have surgeons who are able to deal with that. The ones who deal with those injuries into the pelvis are very specialized and most places don't have them. Mm -hmm. So sort of on that idea that, well, it's, you know, this will be much more humane. It's not more humane. You're, you're, you're basically terribly wounding people and not stopping threats, which is a, a sort of a double negative is that we're putting horrific injuries into individuals that we really don't need to, um, that is not going to, to cease the action we need it to. Mm-hmm. Then you start adding in things like the idea of shooting into arms and legs. Well, you know, you catch around in a brachial artery, a femoral artery, any of those big arteries in the arms or legs, what you're going to have is a very long, slow process of killing somebody with those arterial bleeds. And they're very difficult to stop in the field and they're very difficult to treat and deal with. And then the accuracy standard required to do that on purpose. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it and I'm going to hurt a bunch of feelings. And that's normally what I'm kind of known for is right now, most law enforcement agencies, training programs are shooting to wound anyways. You know, we have these no cop left behind qualification courses that get shot once a year to some sort of state minimum that when not enough people can pass it, we lower the minimum. And most don't possess the skills necessary for the accuracy needed to properly apply lethal force that a lot of these rounds are going into. If they're not downright missing the target altogether, they're, they're, they're ending up in arms and legs just because they're missing what they're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a multi-tiered problem that is a poor solution. And, you know, if you need to do a less lethal solution, well, that's great. That's what taser sticks, uh, pepper Bean spray, bags, you know, things like it, that. Yeah, yeah. All that. That's what that stuff is for. It's less lethal for a reason. Um, and those, most of those are less, less lethal. And then you have stuff like OC spray that's non-lethal. So you have all of these, these things that are available, why on earth would you start putting bullets into things? You know, like the beanbag didn't work. I'm going to shoot them in the arm. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you know? And then in the same breath, the same people who are starting on this shooting to wound thing are the same ones who are taking away the most efficient thing I ever found in the field to incapacitate people with less lethal force, which was carotid control, whether that's uh, a carotid control hold or an LVNR uh, lateral vascular neck restraint, they're trying to take away what are called so-called choke holds. But these are the most efficient ways to actually deal with these people uh, that are overdosed on drugs, mental issues, you, you know, take your pick of what the problem is. And you're taking that away, but now we're going to say it's okay to go ahead and just shoot them in, a, in the leg. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And what it's going to cause is a ton of civil liability. You're going to be putting rounds into the public. Because like I said, most of these people can't hit uh, center of a, of a you know, man-sized upper torso. Mm-hmm. And now we're, going to, now we're going to expect to hit an elbow. You know, well, and, and, at, <laughs> and at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, if they do hit the elbow or hand or something else like that, think about it. 
they also aren't incapacitated. So did you stop it or did you just piss them off that much more? So you no, you've actually escalated it. Yeah, you, you haven't, <laughs> you haven't made yourself or the people around you safer. They just know that you just shot them, you know, and they might start shooting wildly because they figure the next round, you know, might kill them type of thing. Or, you know, they're, they're just pissed off that much. You know, if they're on drugs, you know, emotional, uh, you know, high on em emotions, things like that. Um, hand elbow even a knee is not going to stop them even a pelvic shot you know may not stop them because what they can still crawl they can still get on the ground they can still pull the trigger right you, know, you haven't stopped any of the issues and you know yeah. I, lately i've been using some analogies especially when i'm talking to people who are sort of outside the deep you know law enforcement or military tactical world but they're teaching to what what i like to call the normal earth people which is sort of my my passion these days is working on the uh you know, the citizen side of the fence is I'm new to hunting. Uh, my wife, uh, is came from a background that's very heavyweight hunting background. She is a taxidermist and hunting guide stuff. And I was a cop in Southern California. So very different world. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I've learned is if, if to make an analogy is would you ever take somebody out in the field, say deer hunting with the intent that they're going to hit a deer in the hindquarters that they cannot make an ethical shot on an animal. Would anybody, you know, target, you know, uh, you know, a thigh or a leg or something on that. You would never do that. You would never take somebody mm -hmm. actually ethically hunting who was incapable of hitting the heart and the lung. You know, you, you would never even take them in the field because you're never going to, you know, look what it does to the animal. I tell people, I go, you know, in all honesty, human beings are sort of deer size animals. And if that isn't going to work on a deer, this is not going to work on a human being on PCP or methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's well, just going to be, you know, that's just the reality of this. Yeah. Well, I know, you know, I hunt and one of the things that, um, you know, when I'm talking to new hunters, uh, educate them on is you can make the most perfect shot in the world on a deer, right in the heart, right in the lungs, that thing will still run 200 yards on you because you know, that's, that's how, how the body's made. You know, if you get uh, all of a sudden you get adrenaline and you, you'll, you'll run, you know, that far in, you know, five or 10 seconds. And, you know, that's what I found. And, and you know, it's funny because I now have all this interaction in the hunting community because it's kind of my new happy place is having been in the business of dealing with shooting people is it's no different. You know, a lot of times we'll see people hit in the heart lung area. Um, I, you know, I was lucky the last guy that I, I, I put one through that went down so hard. I couldn't get a second shot off. On the other hand, we often, what we would see is they would go crawl off under a car and, you know, I investigated a ton of, uh, you know, bad guy shootings as well. Um, you know, bad guys shooting bad guys and you had the, the typical street violence as well. And we would often find, uh, shot people, you know, curled up under cars, curled up under a porch, curled up under a bush and a dog house, something like that. A lot like how animals are mm -hmm. when, you know, the, the, the heart sends a signal to the brain and goes, you need to lie down. And in a citizen defensive shooting, that's a success because unlike the law enforcement people, you really don't have to go track that down. 
mm-hmm. you know, nor like in the hunting world where you got to go track that deer. If you have an assailant attack you, you put a r- couple rounds into the, uh, you know, that kind of fist size area in the upper chest and they turn around and go somewhere else. That's a win. You don't need to go chase them. You don't need to handcuff them. You don't need to do anything. You just need to find another place to be and get on the phone with nine one one. That's that's a huge success, and a lot of people don't read that as it is what it is. It's a huge success, and we see a lot of training programs that are teaching putting in massive amounts of rounds as fast as you can. Well, personally, from being through the investigative process and spending time on the civil process. My optimal is having a shooting situation done without ever firing a shot. So the best thing that could happen is presentation of lethal force, and then it's not used. And the, the situation ends with not one round fire. Mm-hmm. My next optimal is finish it in one shot. The next is two. And I really don't want to go past three. And particularly in today's society, what is enrages the non- enthusiasts among us is where we have these shootings involving six, seven, eight, 10, 12, 17, 42 shots being fired, that this is where the citizenry finds it unreasonable. Now they don't really understand a lot of the realities of it because they're trained by television. And a lot of this shooting to wound stuff came from television where back in the fifties with the rating systems and what you could show on television and stuff, they changed. You couldn't show people getting killed on TV. You shoot the I mean, gun out of their hand and things like that. Yeah, you know? This is, <laughs> we are literally building uh, reality, life and death, tactical application of lethal force based on TV, which is this, you know, again, it's, it's silly on the, the, uh, the, the face of it, but the problem is that's also where we're educating the citizenry. Um, we sadly in, uh, educate a lot of people within the shooting community as well. Um, I like to relate a funny story with my wife who was working at one of the major uh, retailers on the gun counter and comes home and which was new to her and said, you know, I can't believe how many of these guys come in they want to buy guns because it was in a movie <laughs> and you know i just sat there with a guilty fit you know, guilty yeah that'd be that'd be me <laughs> you know that's that's yeah we're like you know because for women that's like the dumbest thing ever you know and <laughs> the uh you know most of the guys are guilty of that but that's how heavily influenced we are and you end up with this situation that we're also basing what we do off of what we see in TV and movies as application of lethal force. And I can tell you firsthand, it is not the way it really looks. Um, it is not how it really goes in the real world. The court processes are not the same. The investigative, a lot of that stuff is absolute fantasy and we need to not base how we train people on TV fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I can, I, I can also tell you, you're going to have a problem with jurors with a lot of that, because the people who end up on juries are not well-schooled on this stuff. And which is why it is imperative that your training protocols be set up to try to use force the most efficiently and as possible 
And the other critical thing is how you articulate those uses of force and be very careful with how you train and how you apply that force. Because when you're trying to explain it to people who are the ones who get onto juries, you're not going to be on a jury of peers of the people you shoot with on the weekend. That's not who's going to be on the jury. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a, a second grade school teacher uh, who's been a teacher for 30 years who doesn't find any of this really, it's not their world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know this because when I, last time I was in jury duty where I was not selected, the lady next to me said she has never been on a, been to jury duty and not been selected. She's been selected to every jury. Every time she's been called to jury duty, late fifties, second grade school teacher. Mm -hmm. That is not our peers in this industry. This is going to be peers of society. And how does this stuff look to them? And when you start bringing experts in to testify, the, who that basically um, to explain to people like that, that this isn't like television, it becomes critical that your actions be easily articulated and based on very sound grounding on training practices. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a uh, very good advice. And, uh, you know, reason why we wanted to do the topic today was to go along and bring this to instructors, uh, minds because what we tell our students is extremely important how we tell it to them it's very important because if they ever are in front of a jury um either civil or criminally just like you said you know, we got to be able to explain it in simple terms um on how we do it and why why we do it all right here's here's another good question for you uh, daryl that i think a lot of people get confused at times uh warning shots you know, besides just the simple tactical side of things to where you have no intention of those uh, shots actually hitting somebody that you're using up good ammo that you might need in a split second right after that. What are some of the other issues with uh, warning shots and trying to scare people away with warning shots? Yeah. So that's remember when I said they all hit something, mm -hmm. they all hit something. Um, they are all going to come down or go somewhere and hit something. And Again, when we look at the firearm as a means to apply lethal force, when we start using it for things that it's not intended for with the intention of it not being lethal force, it doesn't work. So, yeah, I am adamantly against them. It is a dangerous practice. I don't care what Joe Biden says. Uh, this is one of those big fallacies of I'll just shoot a shot in the air and hope for the best, you know. Um, that somebody will run away. And particularly when they start advocating this with double barrel shotguns, well, you just got rid of half of your complete, whatever ammunition capacity you have is now gone. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to deal with a problem. And you just sent a message to the criminal that you're dealing with, that your mindset is of such that you really are not willing to use lethal force. Well, um, I think one thing too, you've also gone along and told that criminal that I'm armed. So if they there's don't, a, yeah, there's, if they don't run away, guess what they're going to be coming with or they just pulled their gun out and they know that you've, you've been firing things into the air or into the ground as warning shots. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a reckless action that, uh, we don't advocate. And the, you know, the it kind of goes along with one of my, uh, favorite things. Um, urban gun store myths that I need to kill is the, 
well, I just need to rack my shotgun and everybody will run away. Now, the first shooting I was in involved a Remington 870. Uh, one of the interesting things that came out afterwards with the criminals um, was that they both did hear the shotgun getting racked uh, prior to getting shot. And it didn't change their actions one bit except for them to prepare for a gunfight. That was all it did. Mm-hmm. The criminals that will run because you racked a shotgun are the same ones that will run because you turned a light on because you said, I'm calling the police. You said, I have a gun. Those are all the same ones that will run at the sound of racking the shotgun. So I wouldn't put a lot of faith. Um, you know, a lot of folks out there put a lot of faith in things like, well, I have a laser on my gun and I'll put the laser at them and they'll run away. Most of these criminals, you're not their first rodeo. You are not the first person to point a gun at them. I used to be astounded as a young rookie policeman when we used to, uh, prior to days of a lot of the, you know, real rapid fingerprint stuff, we used to identify people through scars, marks, and tattoos. So we get them to the station, we'd have them strip a shirt off so that we could document their tattoos and scars and all that. I was, you know, coming out of a, you know, a young, nice kid coming out of college. Um, I was astounded at the amount of gunshot injuries, stab wounds, horrific scarring, uh, colostomy bags, you know, this is not these first people's rodeo Mm -hmm. and some citizen out there pointing a gun at them and using, uh, you know, words of the street, you know, of, of street language does not scare these people that it does not have the effect. Most people do that, you know, some soccer mom yelling, you know, MF or pointing a gun at them is, is not really a scary thing in their world. Uh, uh cause I, they really, they really think you're not going to do it is, yeah. you know, and you know, so, so when we start again, training to tactical TV fantasy versus like, we are big advocates of use of a low ready when you draw to a hard, low ready, you, uh, you are not actually pointing a gun at people until it's time to point guns at them until I can articulate that I can do that. Um, what we found is the message that sends to the criminal is I don't need to point a gun at you. I take that action very seriously. I'm not screaming, uh, idle threats that I'm not willing to carry out. You know, I'm setting some boundaries and I'm setting some real estate that I don't want you to approach me. I don't want this crime to continue. I don't want what's going on to continue, mm-hmm. but I don't need to put a gun, a point a muzzle at you and scream, uh, is I found that to be fairly ineffective over the years. And I pointed guns at a whole lot of people screaming profanities at them. And I can tell you firsthand, it does not usually have the effect you wish it did, yeah, which is why I stopped doing it. Yeah, the, the one <laughs> thing know? I think a lot of people need to realize, just like we go to a job and the job has continuing education as we get more skills and things like that, criminals are the same way. And I heard Absolutely. a statistic one time where 90% of uh, pistol wounds are uh, are survivable from the standpoint of if you get them breathing to a to a trauma center, they can save that person. And when oh, you, you go along and think about that, that's where, like you were talking about scars and bullet holes and things like that, they're in people, how they can be, you know, Hey, this is from five years ago. This is from last year. You know, I've, I've got, 
you know, been shot in the chest so many times, you know, the criminals are just like, you know, unless you hit that one area, you know, I'm the paramedics will come and I'll be able to survive through this no matter what. And that's why, that's why they're not scared about it anymore. They realize what the survivability is. And they have a real good mindset for it. You know, I tell people, I go, look, you know, I, I, anytime I have a, a cardiac surgeon or a doctor or something like that in my classes, you know, I'll ask them, I go, Hey doc, um, y'all you know, show them the, uh, what we're using for a targeting. I go, Hey, if, uh, y'all you know, make a fist, I'll put it you know, up in the high center of the chest. And I go, Hey doc, if, uh, if I put a modern hollow point through into that area, you know, around the aortic, that whole aortic arch in there, uh, put a hole in the heart, something like that. I go, Hey, can you fix that? No, no. <laughs> you know, before, you know, you're getting medical attention. All I go, can you fix that? And he, no. Now all mm-hmm. the other stuff they can fix, they can't fix that, you know? And the, the, like I said, and when the crooks get hit there, they know that too. And most are going to be deer. And once that, that happens, they will go find a place to go lie down, except every so often, whether it's sheer uh, psychological will, uh, PCP, methamphetamine, or pick your uh, your cocktail of choice, um, every so often you're going to get a Cape Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And they're going to kill what killed them. Mm-hmm. They are not going to go down. They're not going to stop the fight. They're going to fight through it. And, you know, again, that's a mindset thing for our side as well, is that, you know, even if you take a lethal wound, I want to take everybody with me um, on that. But that's why we work so hard at those transitions to the headshots, because I've had several of my guys who have parked really solid hits in the upper torso that were lethal hits. I mean, one of them, uh, you know, 300 plus pound guy had killed his whole family. Uh, he went on a rampage. They had crashed his car. He climbed into a police car, took that over, literally ripping the shotgun out of the rack physically. And, you know, one of my guys fired two rounds to the chest. He said, you know, the guy just jiggled, didn't, didn't even phase him. And then, then immediately fired a failure drill and put one in the guy's head, which ended up ending the incident instantaneously. But when we went to the autopsy on that, both, both of the first shots fired were fatal. I mean, both of them were fatal, Mm -hmm. but not instantaneous, but yeah, it just, the guy just, you know, he was that dude. He was your, he was your enraged Cape Buffalo and you were not going to stop that with anything less than a, than a central nervous system hit. And believe me, you know, a a chest shot or an arm shot was not going to, to stop that as well. You know, it was sort of like the, the, you know, one of the more famous controversial shootings was the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson. And, you know, again, everybody was appalled that it took six rounds and, you know, I wasn't there. I'm not going to, you know, uh, bad mouth the cop, the bad guys, any of that. All I'm going to say is that was a case of you had a very large enraged individual who was shot multiple times in places like arms, wrists, very non-lethal things. And that incident did not end until he put his head down charging and was shot in the head. And so did using lesser, you know, uh, you know, to use wounding shots, did that make the incident better or worse? Mm -hmm. Because the reality of that is what enraged a lot of normal people was, well, did they have to shoot him six times? Well, yeah. When you don't hit anything worthwhile, it's going to take a lot and it and, and they don't stop. I mean, it's and they know, don't some stop. one, I mean, one, and, just, one and done, but you know, if they don't stop, 
you know, and you still have a threat, you've got to take care of the threat. Yeah. Pistol bullets are horrible for stopping people. I mean, it's just that simple. Again, you know, it takes somebody, you know, special, if you convert this to the hunting world, how many really good handgun hunters are there out there? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not most people's first choice. Like my, my business partner, uh, Wayne, that's almost all he exclusively hunts deer with now is a service revolver or service pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to get close and you got to be, and he's one of the most incredibly gifted shooters you're going to find as far as accuracy, but it requires very high level accuracy and shooting, which a lot of people don't possess. And that's why it, you know, by the same token, we get out here, um, on the street dealing with, uh, street level, violent criminals, uh, accuracy is incredibly, incredibly important part of the equation that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And, you know, speaking to other instructors out there, uh, things like I've heard over the years, and this is in classes I've been in and taught to me, like spreading trauma, combat accuracy, you know, which is all justification for having rounds everywhere, but where they need to be, that is all utter garbage. That is simply justification of you can't maintain a level of accuracy and rather investing the time into getting people to shoot at a high level of accuracy or excusing poor accuracy. And that is not going to solve one of these street problems. And the reason we are so, so tight on the accuracy stuff is if I can get you shooting into a five and a half inch ball, you know, on a, on a one dimensional paper target on a range under, you know, blue skies and impossibly white puffy clouds. Then if you double that, and now we're into a 10 inch diameter circle on the street, well, we're in a much better place than you can't hit a 10 inch diameter circle on the range. You're not going to hit anything worthwhile on the street, except for innocence or putting rounds out into society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a major issue and, uh, you know, that that's, and, you know, if you're an instructor, a lot of people, and I almost hate the word instructor at this point, there's a lot of people who throw that title out who haven't done the work. You know, the, uh, if you can't demo shoot the lat level of accuracy, you need to be getting mentored under somebody who can to be really an effective instructor. And the excuse of I'm just, just teaching beginners is not a good excuse because in all honesty, beginners make mistakes that usually take fairly decent instructors to diagnose. They don't do the, anybody who's been through like an NRA basic instructor class can watch me shoot. And when I make a mistake, it look, it, it's easy to diagnose. It's right off the, the, the thing. When you're dealing with brand spanking new shooters who have never touched a gun before, they do the craziest stuff you've ever seen that isn't really textbook mistakes. You know, like uh, one I had recently was like, you know, the rear, you know, are you looking at the front sight? Yeah. Can you point to that for me? And she points to the rear sight. Well, it's the front one, you know, and it's you the one in front able, of her. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to diagnose these things. And, and that doesn't come with one class, you know, so part of this is on the instructors of you've got to be able to maintain these standards, demo them, teach them and, and really help your students by giving them the skill set needed to hit those kind of targets. Now we don't put different targets up for our basic classes. 
you know, you can get people to do this, but you have to have the instructor ability too. So again, for the instructors, don't stop at one and done. I took an instructor class, so now we're good. Um, you need to be able to demo that and be able to articulate why those accuracy standards are so important. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, great information, uh, Daryl, uh, and uh, appreciate it. Um, got a question for you. been asking all our guests this year. Can you recommend a book or another instructor that you think other instructors should seek out to improve themselves? Yeah, if I had to, um, you know, I'll recommend the one who I, I spent a lot of time getting mentored under, which is Scott Reitz out in Los Angeles at ITTS. Um, I tell people I, ITTS, International Tactical Training Seminars, and in and out are really the only reasons, you know, that, that that the only saving grace of California these days. So I just went back out there. Um, so yeah, Scott Reitz, uh, is outstanding in the program. They run up at ITTS is one of our, uh, favorites to recommend people to, uh, nationally, uh, we like most of the, uh, range master, uh, from Tom Gibbons. Most of their vetted instructors are, you know, you'll find them all over the country and most of them have a, a pretty solid programs. Great. I'll put those in the uh, show notes for everybody so they can uh, check those out. Uh, we've had Tom on before, so uh, people can look up his episode and hear him talk about his program and um, international tactical uh, training. That sounds like a really good place, especially if somebody like you keeps going back for additional training. That's uh, that's always good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, where can people find more information about um, Daryl Balky and hardwired tactical shooting? If they want to okay, find your class uh, schedule, we're, we're on the process of, you know, that's been a multi-year process of getting our website, uh, taken offshore and out of the American, uh, you know, <laughs> cancel culture of, of the internet. So don't go to the website, go to, uh, either hardwired tactical shooting on Facebook. And we should have a new website up for 2022. That'll be based offshore. And then, uh, for DB shooting adventures, it's just that DB shooting adventures on, uh, Facebook as well. And I do a lot of different stuff on there, whether it's historical firearm stuff or, uh, you know, pontification on, you know, a lot of, you know, carry methodology and things like that. So with no politics whatsoever. Yeah, that looks uh, really, really good. And, uh, I'm going to check, check some of that stuff out. That's good. Well, I appreciate you coming on today, uh, Daryl, and I uh, look forward to uh, meeting up with you sometime down the road once we uh, get away from all the uh, canceling of the events and different things like that around the world. Been tough. Uh, yeah, we spent a whole year where we couldn't use our range, so yeah, we get it. It's it's been tough. Yep. Can I plug one event though before we go? Yep. Let's go ahead. Do that. Uh, we, we do a big revolver shoot every year to maintain the art of the revolver. We're moving to gun site this year. So the last weekend, uh, well, the, the weekend before Thanksgiving in November, we will be out with a big revolver shoot at gun site. Uh, if you go to gun sites, uh, website, they should have signups for revolver roundup and dedicated to a good friend of ours, Pat Rogers, who passed away several years ago. So that's, uh, we're, we're finally getting that big time because we, we just ran out of room to host it at our facility. So we'll be out at gun site with that in November. Neat. That would be really fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Daryl. You have a safe day. Thank you. Have a good one. That's a wrap for this episode. And let's announce this week's podcast prize winner this week. Shane L won a laser dot training cartridge. 
Next week, we're giving away a pack of nine millimeter dummy ammo. Visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for our weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering, and your entries do not carry over from week to week. Want to ask you, shell our all our podcasts on your social media to help out other trainers receive this great information. Remember to check out our website where you can search for various topics from marketing to instructor training at farmtrainerpodcast.com, or you can leave us a comment there also. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, feedback, please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association, ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off a checkout. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.